Welcome to the Discomfort by Design podcast, where we showcase people who chase discomfort, live life on the fringe, and pursue high adventure. We bring you the stories that inspire you to go find out. Now here's your host, Taylor Quick. another episode of Discomfort by Design podcast. Uh, today I'm joined with Alex Luring. Uh, Alex, what's going on, bud? Hey, man, how's it going? It's pretty good, man. Just uh, getting things rocking and rolling down here as we're kind of winding down the semester here at uh, at the school where I work and getting ready for Christmas around here. Um, you know, I, got, I have three, three kids, six, four, and two, so Christmas is Tons of fun and very, very busy for us, man. How are y'all? Man, same here. You know, I'm, um, you know, we're, we're always going and moving here at Sornex with lots of different things and everything, but, um, but yeah, it's kind of the same thing for us is it's, there's highs and lows and especially this, the, the holiday time here, cause you're trying to get stuff done, but then also people aren't wanting to do a whole lot of stuff cause you got holidays coming and stuff. And, you know, here at Sornex, we all got bunch of kids and and stuff like that too so it's it is we're always trying to figure out what the what the christmas surprises are going to be and all the all the fun stuff like that getting into the christmas christmas season so it'll it's good i'm excited about it i know my my little girls are excited i got two little girls uh oldest is six and then the next one's three and they're uh tons of fun and very excited Hey man, did we lose you? No, can you not hear me? No, I got you. Last you said your your uh, your oldest girl was how old? Yeah, she's six, and then um, my next one is three years old. So oldest is six. Um, they're they're stupid excited for Christmas though, getting in here. <laughs> oh yeah, man, no kidding. Like I, I woke my my oldest two up this morning and the the first thing they did is looking for the elf on the shelf that uh, made his arrival a couple of days ago so you know that's that's always fun nice that's good yeah we uh we tried elf on the shelf a couple of years ago and then it uh quickly became one of those things where we just did away with it because uh they didn't care or try to act any better because elf was on the shelf and so that didn't help with any type of behavioral so we just went ahead and took it away. <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't do anything from a behavioral standpoint, but they sure as heck mm-hmm. look for it every freaking morning. It's first thing they want to do when, mm-hmm. I, when they get out of the bed. I'm like, all right, go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, and let's get dressed. And they're like, no, we got to go find the elf. And I'm like, oh, my God. And oh, yeah. Dude, oh, yeah, he, uh, he, he forgot to move um, night before last. Yeah. He, he stayed in the same spot. And uh, the, kids, the kids came in there, and they're like, the elf didn't move. And it's literally the second night he's been there, right? And like the elf didn't move. And it was this big mm. deal. And I was like, well, that's because your baby brother stayed up all night. And, I, and and he he never really would go to sleep. And he kept daddy up all night. And so since we were up, the elf couldn't move. Because, you know, he can't move while you're watching. And, uh, and so they bought it. <laughs> nice. They bought it. I was, I was a little quick on my feet. Yeah. <laughs> and they bought it. And uh, yeah. and, and, and so we're, we're good. But the, the elf made sure to move last night. So it was, uh, <laughs> it there was, you it go. Was a thing. Yeah, for sure. There um, you go. Are you one of those that's, that's doctor, are you doctoring up, uh, funny things that this elf is getting into, or is it just moving them to a different spot in the house? 
No, he's just mobile. No, he he hasn't uh, he he hadn't developed a sense of humor yet. Um, he he just yeah, kind of moves around. And, uh, and 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 as of right now, the kids don't know that he's a he you know has the capability to develop a sense of humor, and so they're just happy to see him move. There you go. Oh, I I have good, I have man. not the time That's nor good. the inclination for the other antics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I get that. I get that. So, man, so I, you mentioned you're uh, obviously at Sorenex uh, there at HQ. What, is, what exactly is it that you do for Sorenex and what's your role there? Yeah, man. So um, I'm actually this January coming up on three years at Sorenex here. And um, when I got the call three years ago from, from Bert uh, Soren to, you know, potentially join the team here, um, I asked that same question, like, what do you want me to do? Um, you know, I, I, I've been in sales before in a previous life. Um, but I wasn't sure on, you know, if that was something I wanted to jump into at that time of life. And, um, you know, Bert asked me, well, would you be willing to, you know, move to headquarters, um, in South Carolina, which I had just been living in Florida for a year um, that I moved from Tennessee and I was like, well, that'll be probably about my seventh state I've lived in, um, from my coaching career. So I was like, what's another state, you know, we, we really don't care. Um, so I, I moved up here and they put me into a role, um, within Sornex here as our vendor relations manager, um, which I obviously, I had to Google that, uh, when they asked me to do that position, cause I didn't know what that was either. Um, but basically what I do, um, is anything that we don't actually physically make ourselves here at Sornex. Um, I am the relationships guy to go find a product, maybe that a coach is wanting to buy and they want it all under one thing and, and they want me to go source a product. So we do deal other people's products, which is fine. Cause it's, it's nice for high schools and colleges and pro teams and stuff when they just want to cut one check. Um, and then they just source everything through us. So I have a lot of relationships, um, basically through the entire fitness industry with different products, um, things that we're kind of looking into doing a collaboration with, um, stuff like that. So I, I'm, I'm kind of all over the board, but I, I would also say I, uh, you know, my role has kind of shifted into, um, a Swiss army knife kind of deal where there's a lot of things where I also then previously being a coach, I, I handle a lot of things for, um, getting with coaches, being able to talk the lingo with coaches and doing that. And I'm at all the, the different conferences and shows and vendor shows that we go to, um, just kind of making connections and relationships that way. Um, so in a nutshell, it's, yeah, my, I'm, I'm the vendor relations manager that, um, kind of does a lot of different things under the sun here at HQ, which is a typical strength coach move, right? Because uh, strength coaches are usually those guys also involved in programs where they're doing everything from making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the halftime snack to coaching, you know, high profile athletes and, and moving them along. Yeah, no. So like, I mean, that's, that's a great description. And, and I, I think that's a really interesting job because you're, you're working for essentially the industry leader in strength and conditioning equipment, especially when it comes to 
the weight room side of things, um, you know, and, and racks and, and bars and plates and dumbbells and things of that nature. But, you know, that's, as we all know, that are in the strength and conditioning profession, those that's that's just one part of what we have in a weight room is just those free weights and things but you know when you start looking at like med balls and you start looking at at all the things like you said that you're not y'all are not physically building there in the manufacturing facility Mm -hmm. in south carolina being able to 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 not only you know weed through all the bull crap out there because it seems like you know you could google uh, med balls and you're going to get a laundry list of different, you know, people that make one, make them different brands, different manufacturers, all this stuff. But to be able to, to take the time to weed through, you know, the, the junk to find the ones that are, that are, you know, of the quality that Sorenex holds to be able to say, Hey, you know, we'll put our stamp on this. We'll put this on our website. We'll say, Hey, we, we, are, you know, we endorse this product as something that would go good in our weight room. I think, I think being able to do that is, is a man, that's a skill because it would be really easy to just, you know, click on the first thing that pops up in a Google search and say, Hey, what does she do? So how do you, how do you do that? How do you figure out what's, you know, I've seen you, I've seen y'all bring a lot of products into the fold over the last three years since you've been there from, um, you know, the anchor to the Wolf Brigade Mace, which I want to talk in depth about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, y'all have brought in some really yeah. cool products over the last three years. What's your process like for saying, you know, hey, this is something we can put our stamp on. We can say Sorenex is going to stand behind this. We're going to recommend this. And how do you do that, man? How do you weed through the junk to find the the good stuff? Yeah, you know, it's definitely one of those, um, one of those things of, of uh, everybody knows, you know, Sornex hires previous strength coaches or people within that field um, that we understand the process of training, different training programs, why something works versus why it doesn't. And they have a lot of different skills. You know, I, I, I found that that we are our entire company wide with everybody that works here at HQ or any of our outside sales guys, or even some of the guys that are in our shop, um, actually building stuff or working on things. We're a very, very versatile group, um, that have a lot of different, um, great skills at a lot of different levels, um, and, and different genres. Um, and, and mine being that of like, I came from the strength and conditioning world, Um, I coached, uh, just under about 12 years, um, at the high school level, um, the collegiate level. And then, I mean, I dabbled in the professional world when it came to like track and field athletes, um, like Olympic athletes. And so I coached a lot of Olympic athletes too. So I had professionals all the way down to high school kids and middle school kids. And, um, during my stint of coaching, I got really good at being able to assess something um, work with things that maybe I wish I had, but I didn't and having to work with what you got. Um, and you know, my first coaching job, I was at a high school where I had like two actual squat racks, two, um, uh, Smith machines, and then basically like seven stationary benches. And I had to train about 500 student athletes from the hours of three to six o'clock after school hours. Um, 
and so that was one of those where it's like, okay, I don't have anything. I have maybe some space because I was right off of a gym and a outdoor, you know, grass field that I could go do a lot of stuff, but I had to work with what I got. Um, and that's kind of the fun thing about my job now at Sornex is my process of going through um, products we want to sell. There's kind of two different avenues. One of those avenues is really, really easy. It's because the coach is saying, I want this barbell or I want these med balls or this specific cone or whatever they're looking for. Um, and they just say, that's what I want. That's easy. All I have to do then is that's what the coach wants. There's a price point at that. And then I just go source it and create a relationship if we don't already have one with that company. Um, and then the other avenue is I probably get one to two items sent to me probably once a week to every other week. Um, so I have random things that show up on my desk. Um, and I, and some of them I've requested for, and some of them just show up, um, which is, which is totally fine. Um, but it's kind of a, it is a little bit of a strength coach's dream. Cause now I get to play with all the things that are out there that maybe I didn't ever have a budget to buy or got to use. Um, and so I get to kind of, my first step in that process is, I need to physically see the the actual product. I need to hold it in my hands and I need to actually train with it. And so that's what we do, you know, at the at HQ here in our, our gym space. Like I bring that stuff in there and this, even though it's our showroom, it's a full functioning weight room um, that's trained in every single day. Um, and I've actually gone down my, my process of I will use it um, and I start to try to at least least become somewhat proficient in it or what is its purpose and what does it do? What are some other things that maybe even this company that, you know, um, sent it to me, didn't, doesn't market it for a specific reason or something that I think it can be used in. Um, and then also I, I strategically will set that product or item up so that I know all the guys that are, you know, in our shop when they come in and work out on their lunch hour or before, you know, we open up every day or, or training after hours, I set that product up just to see who, who is in kind of engaged to it of just being like, Oh, what's that? I want to go try it. And then they start using it. And then I get some feedback from some of the guys that use that stuff and um, see if they like it, what they don't like about it. Um, and then also it's just kind of that, like who's drawn to a product and why? Um, Cause I, I've found that like, yeah, I might have some good ideas, but everybody else that comes in here and trains a different way than I train or um, has a completely different thought process on how to use an item, um, they come in and kind of start doing that. And I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. I should maybe kind of take a look at that of why. Um, so that's kind of the process, a little bit of what we do. And then it it also goes then to the business side, um, which I've had to spool myself up pretty quick on, um, you know, over the last three years of like, okay is this a, an established product that I think we could sell a lot of? Um, this is a good product that we can stand behind and move forward on. Um, and then, you know, we kind of do that. And then there's some products where it's like, yeah, we have one coach that is specifically asking for it. I'm not trying to go way deep down the lane of like, yeah, we're going to sell millions of these products, which I usually I stop a lot of vendors when they do send me a sample and then they want to get on the phone and talk. And they say, I think you guys will sell millions of these, which then I tell them, well, I don't think we as a company, even in the last 40 years have sold a million of anything <laughs> like that's, that's kind of a hard road to cross. 
um, when you're getting into those types of numbers. Um, I like to be very realistic about it of, well, is this a product that I think we could put on our website and it'll naturally organically sell itself on the web? Or is this an item that I really do need to figure out the education piece, um, speak with my, you know, my sales team and all that and get their feedback on it. I usually, sometimes if it is a a really interesting product, I'll send some of those products, um, like the anchor piece. Like obviously when we saw that piece, um, Isaac and his team, there's their phenomenal group. Um, they were at summer strong this last year and, um, I'd seen that item and I I've told Isaac this, I was like, Hey, the first time I saw it online, I thought it was pretty gimmicky. Um, and I didn't really think it was going to be something. Um, and then, uh, one of my mentors, Cal Dietz, you know, kind of put me on it a little bit and was like, Hey, I got one of those and it's actually pretty legit. Um, and so I, I hit up Isaac and was like, Hey man, I'd like to invite you down to HQ to come give us kind of a full rundown of what your product is and how it's used. And when he brought it in, the moment I put hands on it and started using it, I was like, Oh, this is a complete brand new tool that nobody else is doing in the weight room. Um, and it's super, super interesting and it can be used very, very integrated with our entire rack systems and attachments and everything. Um, and so we, you know, we went ahead and and definitely pulled the trigger on that of quickly of like, okay, we realize this is going to be a very popular, interesting product. Um, and they do a great job. It's built very well. Um, there are some smart kids that put that thing together. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say kids. I just think they're younger than me. So I call everybody kids that are younger than me, but, um, but basically they, they wanted to, to work with us cause they're American made company as well. They build everything here in the States. Um, just like we kind of hold true to that path. And, um, and it's one of those that we wanted to make sure like, okay, we, we can sell the, the crap load of these things, not a million, maybe, <laughs> but, we wanted to make sure we, we got them on our team for sure on that side and partner with them to do that. And that's a definitely more extreme one where we did a full on deep dive of multiple face-to-face meetings and, and talking through contracts and things like that, which was a new thing for myself as well of kind of going down the lane of coming up with some different contract ideas and negotiating and things like that. And so I've, I've definitely had to increase my skill levels on some of those things that I naturally did as a strength coach um, that I just didn't realize like I'm going and talking to a sport coach, but I'm negotiating with him. Actually I'm negotiating why I think we need to do this style of training for the athletes and everything. And so that was an interesting perspective to kind of take my previous career and wrap that into everything that's new and coming up forth now um, in my current career. Yeah, man, that's, that's great. And you know, I, there's a, there's this whole thing out there and, and people say it all the time. You know, people love to hire ex coaches, ex athletes, ex military because of the mm-hmm. skill sets that you develop through those lifestyles, through those career paths that are, you know, they're, they're absolutely transferable into almost anything else. Um, and mm-hmm. to, uh, to echo what you said on the anchor piece, I don't, I don't have one, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, but, Mm uh, I, I got to, you know, obviously I saw, I saw them, um, when y'all were posting about them and everything. And then when we went to Oklahoma city for, uh, CSCCA this year, got to kind of mess with one. And I, I remember, um, 
I, I sent one of the first posts y'all put out about it. I sent it to a friend of mine who's a, another strength coach. And exactly what he said was what you said. He said, man, that's just gimmicky. It looks really gimmicky. And um, man, we, when we came to conference, we got over there to y'all's uh, your booth set up and he put his hands on one and he was like, dude, I'm ordering eight of these. This is awesome. Um, yep. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Bert, Bert has one on his truck, doesn't he? Yeah. So we, um, we took a couple of those, uh, the sample ones that, that anchor had sent to us and we were using them in our gym. Obviously they work really, really great on, um, like the jammer arms, um, and other attachment points. But then we did, we, uh, we realized quickly that it's like, well, this thing can go anywhere. Like you can put it on a fence post, you can take it outside and do field work with it. Um, and then we, Bert was like, do you think I could attach these in my truck? And we were like, yeah, we just have to screw into the bed of your truck a little bit and we can put some of the, the attachment points there. And, and so he's got two units that sit, um, just inside of the, uh, the drop down door of his, of his truck. And so you can drop that down and, um, you can do a whole lot of stuff with them. Um, and, and that's the cool thing with that product is, um, you know, I, I, I'm a, pretty big science nerd especially when it comes to the strength and conditioning side of stuff and training and performance and um that was that was bred in me with uh with with my days of you know working at university of minnesota and being being underneath cal deets and getting to work alongside him and <laughs> yeah i got i got poured into like no other that was i actually was really chasing the football route at that time and um that job just happened to pop up and it was an Olympic job and Cal texted me and said, Hey man, I got a job open here. Are you interested? And, um, that was the only Olympic job I think in the country that I was like, yes, absolutely. Because it's just the knowledge that I know that I'll get to do and work alongside with him on is worth its weight in gold, you know, of, of for, all for of anyone that. Who, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Cal Dietz is a legendary coach in the strength and conditioning sphere. Uh, he is um, on the Olympic staff over there at the University of Minnesota. Is he still there? Yep, he's been there now probably about close to 25 years he's been there because yeah. he did his GA position there, actually, and then and then became a full-time. So for, for people who don't speak strength and conditioning, that's rare in and of itself to be anywhere that long, especially mm. um, in, in one role. Uh, but Cal, Cal is the mind behind triphasic training. Um, and uh, we we can yep. we can discuss that later if you want to, Alex. You you can speak on it a whole yeah. lot better than I can. But yeah, let, uh, let me let me let me ooh. finish this the anchor piece here. Yeah. So with the, with yeah, the anchor please. stuff, basically, before we dive in please too deep do. on that, um, with with the anchor piece and me being a very big science mind on that is so the jammer arms that Sornex came up with, you know, a handful of years ago, and now everybody's got them right. Um, it's one of those that with using that piece, it's always been band tension on it. Um, you can load it with a plate, right. but everybody knows it kind of feels a little different that way. But then you can actually do explosive work and movements that way by adding the bands, which is great. Um, but what I always didn't like as a coach is that that pendulum and that moment arm of like the way that 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 jammer arm is going to move with the band. If you don't have it set up absolutely perfect to the the height and the extension of like an athlete 
there's a big issue because once you get all the way to the top, that band now is fully stretched to almost its maximum capacity. And which is the other thing that I don't like about sometimes with band work is it's like, well, how much is the tension? Well, it all depends on how heavily you've stretched the band or is it a new band or is it an old band? So it's somewhere between 30 to 60 pounds. That's a large gap. Um, right. and, and I don't like that cause I've seen a lot of people doing like a, you know, full on explosive movement out where they're pushing both jammer arms and extending fully out. But when they get to the top of that, it changes the angle of the pull, which then basically I've seen kids, you know, tweak their low back or get stapled because all of a sudden the tension becomes so heavy on it and they can't actually hold the proper positioning within that movement. Um, and what I love about the anchor piece is now I can attach an anchor to it and it is exactly the amount of weight through the entire motion of that. And it's actually a tangible weight that I can actually collect data on. I know this is 30 pounds of tension through the whole thing. Um, and that's, what's great about that piece. And even if you're going down to doing shoulder work, what do you do? You grab an athlete and you tell them, go grab that orange band tie that orange band around the rack and then do that. But now as a coach, you have to stand there and be like, Oh, well actually that's a little bit too much tension. Take a step closer to the rack here and do this and make sure you pin your elbow and do that kind of stuff. I'm always looking for ways as a coach. I was always looking for ways as a coach. Yeah. Like I'm always looking for that stuff of like, if you're telling me that I can tell a kid to use the anchor unit and still do that movement, you're going to take a step out from the rack there's already tension on it. I know that that is five pounds or 10 pounds of tension on it. And it's a, it's a data collection of that, of like, okay, that kid with his shoulders, as we're going through prehab stuff or rehab stuff, he's at 10 pounds. But then as you progressively work through that, then all of a sudden you find out, oh, actually, guess what, man, you can bump up now to 15 pounds and do that and still get your shoulder stuff. And we know that we're actually making progressive work. Whereas a band, again, it's, that's such a variable um, with that. Right. So that's, so that's, basically, the, that's an interesting, yeah, go ahead. Basically go ahead. The, the difference between being able to have a set, you know, resistance point where it's, it's the same resistance all the way through a range of motion versus, you know, and, and the jammer arms, I think are a great illustration of this because when you, when you're at the bottom of the jammer arms, you know, your, your resistance is much less than when you're at the top. And so when you're, when you're working with accommodating resistance and varied resistance like that, um, where, where you may be strong through one part of that range, you may be completely out of your weight class, so to speak at a different end of that range. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you're using this anchor piece, what you start with is the same at the very end of the range versus the middle of the range all the way through. And I I think being able to have that, you know, that set and you don't have to worry about that. There's, there's no need for, Mm -hmm. is this too heavy? Is this too light? Is this tension too much? Do I need to move my feet here? Because no matter how you set up, no matter what angles you use, no matter what you've got, like you said, 30 pounds of resistance from start to finish. And I, I think being able to uniform that around and being able to say, Hey, this is what we're doing. And that's going to be huge uh, once it integrates into more weight rooms. I think I think that product is going to absolutely blow up. Yeah, and it's definitely one of those because even to what I tell a lot of coaches is you can get even down to all the little teeny accessory stuff that you usually add into the end of a workout 
or a training plan where it's just tricep push downs or some type of curls or a, a row or something like that, where you don't need a, a three to 400 pound weight stack to do, um, where most, most athletes, you can get a whole lot of work done, um, with just that, like 60 to 80 pounds maximum weight that you can put on something like that of an anchor piece. And, um, and it's one of those that like, you can get a whole lot done and now you don't got to send a kid all the way across the weight room to go find a cable stack machine and change an attachment out on it and do all that type of stuff on this big piece where they're stepping up on the, you know, the seat of a lat pull down to change, you know, the big handle out of it and all that stuff where it's like, all he's trying to do is a simple tricep push down. Why not just keep one of those at your rack and then you can just train off of it right there and your eyes can stay on that and you don't got to be looking across the weight room, checking on a kid, making sure he's not bashing that lat pull down bar into a mirror or something like that. Um, that's, that's one of those things. It's, it's great. And again, the weight stack, it has its place as well, right? Like sometimes you do need 300 pounds for some big O-line or D-line guys that are doing some stuff and, um, and, and that's great. Um, but the anchor pieces, it's definitely a game changer for, for the weight room. And that's, that's one of those things in my process is like, a, as a vendor, I'm looking for products like that, um, that I know meet a lot of our guidelines and that we can push heavily into the market, um, for coaches to get. And that's, I mean, that's generally at the end of the day, I'm a strength coach at heart. I want to find products that are going to make all my friends and buddies that are coaches and other coaches that I haven't met yet. I want to give them opportunities to find pieces that are going to make them better coaches and give them a longer, you know, life stint in the coaching realm um, and makes their job easier. Right. And anytime you can introduce a product that, that minimizes, you know, your, your foot space when you, in your footprint in a, in a weight mm -hmm. room, you know, that's, that's great because there's in, in a weight room, there's one, one non-renewable resource, right. And that's, that's space. Well, you want, once you run out, you run out there, you can't really okay. create more without knocking down walls and having completely restructuring buildings. And some people do that, but oftentimes that's not what happens. So anytime that we can, you know, as a strength coach, and I'm in a much more confined space at the high school I'm at, than you know, the majority of strength coaches at college levels and even at bigger high schools. Um, <clears throat> if I can condense everything down to where I can put three or four kids on one rack and say, all right, you're going to stay right here for your entire mm -hmm. training session. Everything you do is going to be right here. You're not going to have to run around here, run around there. We're not going to have to move through stations and do all this nonsense and, and have wasted time and wasted movement. The more I could do that, the easier it is for me to coach the room and the easier it is for me to coach the room, the better so I can do it and the better results we get. So when we can minimize footprint and you can take a, an, an object like the anchor and, 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 you know, have that attachment there and there's so many things you can do with it. You've spent a, relative to what you're getting out of it. You spent a small amount of money to get a massive return. So man, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up for stuff like that. I'm, I'm freaking pumped. You're at Sorenex and, introducing these products and, and bringing this kind of stuff to market and putting it in front of us so we can, man, it makes my job easier. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's, that's definitely the things we look at. And then, you know, when we get into like the, you know, the Wolf Brigade maces and everything, um, that's the same thing. That was, you know, uh, a, a similar product, you know, Brandon Lilly 
had kind of made made some ties um with with Greg Walsh there at, at the Wolf Brigade and the Maces and um you know Brandon got me in contact with Greg and then I started talking with him and um was obviously interested but it was one of those pieces that as a as a coach um I hadn't done a whole lot of mace training um or used a mace in in my programming or training athletes with I knew what it was but it's one of those that I had never done it a whole bunch myself. Um, and then it became a very interesting thing that for me as a coach, I get interested in those things. And then I kind of go down that path where, well, I'm going to add it into my program and I'm going to figure it out. And, um, it's one of those that I still tell a lot of, a lot of coaches when they ask about the mace stuff right now, um, I say, okay, if I gave you a mace, just one mace, and you had to train one athlete with that mace, and that was your only tool to have, what exercises do you know to do with that? And most of them say, well, I'd smash a tire with it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Everybody knows that one. Um, and then the other one is like, well, I've seen like the little like, you know, swinging around your head kind of thing and like doing a, a mace, you know, swing. I'm like, yep, cool. Okay, that's two. How many times have you ever written a, a a training program where it only had two exercises in it. It's not very capable. Right. Um, and that's what Greg opened my eyes to, um, when, you know, I had more conversations with him on, on mace training and that it is a, it is a piece of equipment that has a, a world completely built around it of actual training techniques and, and things that it actually does open up for people. Um, and I, and I loved it when I talked to, to Greg, I said, so your program, like, is all you guys are doing at your gym is like swinging maces and kettlebells and doing that stuff. And he was like, no, man, he's like, that's, this is just a staple of the, of our program. Yes. But, uh, but the barbell is always King, right? It, it's one of the best crafted things that has been redone and redone and redone. And you can't ever really make it that much better. It's a barbell got to load it with some weight and then you're going to squat it you're going to clean it you're going to deadlift it you're going to move it around do that stuff which is great and that's how you build a lot of strength and and mass and all that stuff using the barbell the barbell is king but if that means we can light those areas like greg says of like you can bench press with a barbell but what does that do to your shoulders in one plane right there's not a whole lot of 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 transition there of, of actually getting the shoulder to move the way that the actual human body's built to make. And, and then you put a mace in the hands and then you start moving that around and you're like, Oh wow, this is actually touching areas and getting things in my body to engage that don't engage in some of those bigger movements like that. Um, and letting the body and shoulders actually move the way that they're supposed to. And so that was a big thing with the mace is, you know, we, you know, Greg sent me a mace. We played around with it a little bit. And then I finally was like, Greg, I need you to come down here to HQ. Um, and I, I kind of coached Greg a little bit on it of like, when I bring you down here, I said, don't come in here and just immediately jump to like, let's give you a demonstration of the mace. I said, everybody here is very smart and, and knows training very well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you come in and I'm going to set up, you know, our, our conference room here and I'm going to give you a whiteboard and a pen. And I want you just to whiteboard this thing and talk training with us. Cause we'll get it at that point. And so, you know, I had Bert and I had pops here, you know, and pops was very intrigued by it. Um, and a lot of the other guys here, you know, that when we sat in and Greg gave us a full, probably couple hour, just like training pr 
process and programming and what to do with a mace and all that. And then we went out to the floor and actually then like we went through a whole just kind of like mace 101 of like training and movements and how to squat with it, how to how to do a front pendulum to a back pendulum and and doing then like a full actual 360 and the mace shovels and everything. And there's a ton of movements with that that now I've fully integrated into that of like that the mace is not the primary thing in it all of my own even personal training, but it is a very, very large staple in my program now. Um, that even if I'm not going to be swinging a ton, it's part of my entire warm up process. So when I start warming up, I touch a mace every single day now. Um, and it's one of those that I found that is, is definitely one of those that opens my, it opened my eyes. And it, I think it'll open a lot of other coaches eyes too, of like, there's a whole lot more out there than doing some of the basic, what I would call gimmicky stuff that we've all been taught. And we all do in weight rooms for, we've done it since forever. Right. And, and we do that stuff and yeah, it's great. And it has a purpose, but but what about giving something to an athlete where now it makes them kind of uncomfortable and it really actually turns their brain on and makes them actually figure out what to do with it. Um, and that's what, it, you know, again, I working with Cal Dietz, I became, um, I got out of playing college football, was just a straight meathead like everybody. Right. Mm. And, um, and, and, and then went to, went to be around Cal Dietz. And um, it was one of those deals where, you know, everybody knows Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, okay, if you want big arms, well, then you just got to do a whole bunch of curls. And then there's just that, like, muscle connection there, right? Of like, yeah, if I do curls, I know it makes my arms grow bigger. Cool. That's not the point. I went and got underneath Caldeets, and all of a sudden he was like, no, 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 it's not that. What it is, is actually connecting the brain to the muscle, because that's what is the driver of everything. And so then I quickly fell in love with like the whole neuro side of everything. And, um, which then, you know, later down the road when I got my master's degree and all that stuff, I got really, really intrigued by the brain. And so then I, even when I worked at the university of Minnesota, they were paying a good chunk of my, uh, tuition. And so I started my, my PhD actually in neuroscience, um, while I was at the university of Minnesota, cause I was just very, very interested in the brain. Um, and, and how that pertains to performance and training and mindset. Um, and cause as we know, like we talked about earlier, strength coaches are way more than just strength coaches and meatheads. We're also the therapist, right? We're also watching interactions and behaviors and how to connect with people and stuff. And so we all get very good at that stuff. And I was like, well, if I go down the path of like starting my PhD in, in neuroscience, that's a really interesting aspect from a strength coach point of like understanding the brain in a very, very high capacity and knowing what happens with, with training performance and what that happens actually inside our minds and brains. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was a long winded with, with the mace and everything, but that's just something with the mace that really kind of opened my mind and definitely gave me that full understanding of like, Oh, there's a whole lot more type of training out there that can definitely be used and has been forgotten about. No, I, I love what you said, man, because it's, it's, it's spot on, right? Because we get so dialed into what we're used to and we, we fit in this little box of mm -hmm. comfort and we're like, all right, this is, we're going to, we're going to go in here and we're going to train, but we're going to do 
the exact movements yeah. that we've always been doing forever that we're really good at that we can do in our sleep. And, and granted, there is nothing wrong with that. And you, you can get stronger. You can improve doing that. Yep. But you, you know what you said about putting something in their hands that makes them uncomfortable. What has been your experience as a coach with creating those, you know, and you're talking about, you know, the, the human brain and how it works. And I had no idea you started a PhD in freaking neuroscience. That's insane. Um, I, I yeah. can't, once, dude, once I, I left, once I left the, you know, yeah, once I, once I left the university of Minnesota and they, uh, I, I then went with, uh, you've met Chad Pearson, haven't you? Yes. Maybe it went winter stronger. Yeah. yeah, so Chad, yeah Chad. He's on the military side now coaching. So he was on the football side at Minnesota and him and I obviously, you know, we were deadlift partners for a long time and training together and all that stuff. And while we were working there and, and then once his staff there at Minnesota got fired, um, he went down and became the head guy at Tennessee Chattanooga. And, um, and then he knew I wanted to go back football. Um, and so he, you know, hit me up and was like, Hey, you want to, you want to come down here and, uh, you know, be my number two and run football with me at, at university of chat. And I was like, yeah, that, that sounds cool. Um, and mainly cause I, I, Chad's a great friend and great dude. And he's, he's the kind of guy that's like, that's the guy you want to work for or work with for sure. Um, and so I, I moved, you know, my wife and, and first kid at that time, um, you know, down there to Tennessee and, and then university of Minnesota was like, Oh, well, you're no longer an employee. Like you can continue your PhD, but you got to pay full price, which I was like, Ooh, really not getting paid a whole lot to be able to cover the cost of that stuff. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so it, my PhD has been on hold. Um, but I, and I, I'm, you know, 34 now. And it's one of those that I keep in my head thinking like, all right, you just need to pull the trigger and finish that stuff. But, um, it's just finding the right time of life. Right. Yeah, um, no, I, I get that completely. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll be 34 on my next birthday. I have no intention to go back to school whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I did, I did my master's degree while I was a GA and my, I started that June 1st. My first kid was born August 3rd. I, yeah, mm. no, I'm not doing school again. That my last experience yeah. with school was no fun. Um, but what, what's yeah. so back to the discomfort thing? Cause that's kind of the whole theme of yeah. this podcast, right? Is, is the whole yeah. creating discomfort intentionally discomfort by design. So what has been your experience as a coach when, when you see athletes, especially, you know, because they're what, what, what athletes are really good at is, is finding a way to accomplish something, right? That's, that's, mm. that's, they're, they're just really good at it. And that's why they, they end up playing at the college professional or the Olympic levels because they're better at accomplishing a task than anyone else. So what has been your experience with introducing design discomfort into those situations where you might have, a, a, you know, with football, especially at the division one level, you're dealing with, you know, 105 guys who have been, for the most part, have been squatting, benching and deadlifting and cleaning for six to eight years. So what's been your experience with introducing those different methods of discomfort and, and like, why is that so important? Yeah. Um, comfort's a really interesting thing. Um, and I know it's been something that's been talked about heavily a lot in the, in the more recent years. Um, and, and especially in the society we live in now where, uh, 
where everything is uh is very comfortable and that's what people are looking for and that's what people spend their money on is comfort um and and that's one of those things that i i wish i was more in tune and down the road like i am now um and what i've been getting into over the last like three years um while i was in coaching but um it's definitely the way when I think back in my coaching career, um, without intentionally thinking about trying to put my, my guys or my athletes in discomfort. Um, but what I did and a lot of the things that I, I learned from Cal is understanding with that brain connection, you can make people very uncomfortable, even just not them having to do anything physical, but understanding their emotions, um, understanding uh their thought process on things and and even to kind of coming to the point of like testing them a little bit mentally of what that looks like and i've done all the different things of even when i was a college football player you know we had the rotc program come over and put us through a bunch of different like physically but mental testing things um you know where you got to work as a team and to accomplish a goal and things like that and, and i like that stuff um, I think there is great team building within that and it makes people think and, uh, and, and accomplish things. And then even when I was at university of central Florida, you know, we brought in, um, the, the military company that's called the program. Um, and they came in and did a whole deep dive on our they players. Um, what did you say? Hey man, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, well, you cut out for me. You said you said even when you were at somewhere, and then I know it was going to be something pretty. Oh, important, sorry. So. Yeah, so when I was at um, I was at the University of Central Florida, and um, and we brought in uh the military uh company that's called the program, um, and they they come in and do a deep dive on your players um from a from a behavioral and mental aspect um and bring military terms and things into it. Um, but then do a lot of uh, military military style training um, and kind of like what I would call games a little bit of like going in and like putting these guys in situations where they have to work as a team and a unit. Um, and that's a that's an interesting thing to make guys really uncomfortable because most football players are always in that aspect and, and brain space of they've been top dogs for a long time um, and been good at anything they get put in front of them. And a lot of the times they're just good athletes. They don't even have to think about it. Um, but then when you all of a sudden have a mental demand of solving a problem while doing something physical at the same time, that's an interesting thing to wrap around that. Um, and so I enjoyed those things. Those were good for the guys, but also it's, it's only a couple of days long um, where it's not a, a long lasting thing. And I think that's one thing um with the the discomfort is you do have to be able to put it in there for a consistent basis and i think that's where a lot of times uh coaching programs or or you know strength staffs or anything like that they might hit on something and they'll hit on it for like a couple of days or a couple of weeks and then it kind of fizzles out and it goes away um and i think that's one of those things that we know about training and and programming and things like that like Yes, you have to do something for an extent period of time and then you have to do you have to change it and switch to something else so that it actually does you get you that adaption happens. Um and and I think that's the same thing with 
comfort and discomfort of getting people like really in uncomfortable spaces is flipping the switch when maybe um, it's not programmed. And I think that's what I did a lot of times to make um, my athletes uncomfortable um, was because there was a lot of times it was never just the same, like, okay, I got a 6am lift. I got to get there at this time. And I got to go over to the foam rollers and start doing that. There are times when I'd read the room. Um, and I think that's something that I was, am very good at is just reading people in situations and understanding personalities and what they do and how they react to things. And, um, so my athletes at almost all the schools I worked at, um, knew that every single workout, they didn't necessarily know what they were going to get, um, where it might be something I would just have stuff that my interns or whoever my assistants were working with me, I would fill them in on prior to of like, Hey, did you notice that this last track meet that our entire sprint team was just kind of off and weren't their fun, you know, jovial selves and, and just kind of were off and didn't run as fast or well. And they kept complaining about little nagging injuries that it's just cause the wind was blowing wrong on them. Right. With track athletes. Cause they're sometimes prima donnas. Um, and, and so it would be one of those things where I would make my athletes uncomfortable because they would come in and I would have, I completely flipped the script for the entire day. Um, and I know a lot of strength coaches that would, that they have a problem with that because it's not on their paper or their program, right. That they came up with and spent time doing, but I'm fine with taking a, a, a workout for what's planned for that day and completely scrapping it and getting into something else. Um, which is, I base a lot of that stuff off of, that's what life is, right? Um, you can be driving to work and it's the same thing you've done, you know, the last 20 weeks of getting up at this time, brushing your teeth at this time, getting in your car, kissing your wife and kids goodbye and driving to work and going to work, doing your thing. But things happen in life that make you uncomfortable. There's an accident on the road. So now you're going to be late to work and you got to figure that out or, or you get in an accident or anything like that. Life throws you curveballs that way. And I think that's the same way that even sports are that, right? You can run the same play and practice over and over and over until everybody knows their blocking assignments, does exactly what they're supposed to do. But that's the great thing about sport is then you go into sport and it never ends up that way, right? Um, it's always something different and you have to adapt to that. And I think you put athletes in a really good position if you can do things like that to make them comfortable with being uncomfortable um, of knowing like, oh, okay, this is a problem I have to figure out and, and know what is going to be the best option for me to do with that. Um, and so doing things like that, I would do that in my weight room a lot where all of a sudden guys would come in and they thought it was a squat day and I would completely throw that out and we sometimes it would be fun and we'd play a game. And then they had to just flip script and they would have fun and do that. Or there were times when they'd come in and I was pissed off with just their nonchalant way of coming in. And I would scrap the whole workout and we'd be doing like push-ups the entire time. And it would just be one of those like, that's just what it was today. I hope I got my point across. And usually people kind of fall in line and they don't like when they don't really know what they're going to get. Um, so that's a that's a way that I, I really kind of in coaching um, followed along. And I, I learned a lot of that from a lot of the guys that I coached underneath. Um, I, I had a really good, good people that I, I was able to, to work for and get coached by, um, while I was coaching my own athletes. And, um, 
I mean, we know that that's what this coaching career and lifestyle is, is it's, it's all about the people, you know, and the connections you get with, and that's how you get jobs. Um, and, and the things you learn and, and what, it, where it takes you. And I, I think that's the fun thing about coaching and all that is you can get into a whole lot of different stuff, um, that takes you down some uncomfortable roads, but they're good roads. Yeah, no, for sure. So with, with that in mind, man, like how, what do you do on a daily basis? You know, where, what is your, your moment of discomfort that you're weaving into your life daily? Cause you know, I see your videos, you post your training, um, Obviously, you post a lot of your yeah. wife and kids and things like that. So, I mean, you, you put a lot of your life out there. What is it that we're not seeing? Yeah. You know, what what are what what is uh man what what is Alex doing to ensure that you're not just retracting back into that comfort bubble of routine where it's the yeah. same thing over and over and over again, and we just get stuck in that loop? Yeah, man. It's um again, it was a interest, and I. I found myself um, when I got out of coaching and I think this is a big topic that um, people sometimes coaches don't want to talk about um, is like getting out of coaching um, and like the next steps of life. And what does that look like? Because I think we do as coaches, we wrap ourselves in that identity very, very heavily um, and it's usually it's we're supposed to be the big tough guy on staff um, that doesn't back down from anything and is willing to throw themselves in underneath a, a bar that's probably well over their max, but we're still going to go after it, um, which I love that. And I'm all about that. Um, but I think it's one of those that because um, I got that to that point in my career where I was I was beat up and tired um, and. And I knew I could feel that happening to my wife as well as that she's she was is the absolute perfect coach's wife because she knew every single time it was like December, January ish time. And I would come home and she would already see it on my face. And she's like, who called you today? And I'm like, uh, so next week I'm going to Tennessee. <laughs> uh, for an interview. And I'm pretty sure I already have the job, but I got to go through the paces of this interview. And then after that, I would move, we're moving to Tennessee in like two weeks. Um, and she would always just be like, all right, cool. I'll start packing. And she would get things already organized and all that. And, um, I'd done that for, you know, over a decade of, of moving constantly and taking jobs that were, I was selling my wife on a dream. Um, and she was, right there with me and totally wanting to go after my passion with me. Um, and I told every place I went, I said, Hey, you're not just getting me as a coach that I'm going to, you know, be in charge of, of running this team and, and take care of it. But also like you get me and my entire family, cause they will be 100% fans and involved in this. Um, and so that's one of those things that when I finally did come to the realization and it probably was about a couple year process, of realizing like, okay, I got, um, you know, my last stop in coaching was at university of central Florida with football. And I was in charge of O-line D line, which was kind of like my dream job. Um, cause I'm a big guy. I played D line and I love the bigs, right. You know, just getting in and I know what it feels like when I'm asking them to make a cut at 300 pounds, what does that feel like on their body and how they're supposed to move through it and all that. And I, I enjoyed that process and the, the players that I got to connect with there are, amazing they still a handful of them still facetime me to 
um, on my kids' birthdays to say happy birthday to, to my little girls. And it's one of those that I found um, that was very uncomfortable for me um, was to pull and shed that skin of like my identity as being a strength coach um, and knowing I'm Alex, like that's, that's who I am. I'm, you know, my little girl's daddy. I'm uh, a husband to my wife and, um, you know, a son, a brother, all that stuff. Um, and, and truly like kind of start shedding those things of like, okay, I still have these passions about myself that I love. I love coaching. I love training. I love watching a massive squat PR or deadlift PR. That's what's great about summer strong and those things, right. Is I'm still involved in it. And, um, and, and, and Bert Soren did, did me a, a great, great job of when I did come and start working for Sornex because I was in a weird funk because all of a sudden now I was out of the coaching career field and didn't know really what the next thing was. And now I'm working for, you know, this company I was a fanboy and customer of for a handful of years. And then now I get to work for this cool company. And what does that mean? And what are people going to think about me and stuff like that, which, you know, truthfully now I really don't care what people think about me or what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm just going to continue to be Alex and do me. Um, but Bert Soren, um, like my first week that I was here at HQ, um, I was like, he, he kind of pulled me into his office and just, we were talking and talking about my job and my position and things like that. And then he said, well, okay. He goes, what do you like to do? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, what, what do you, as Alex, what do you like to do? And you can't say lifting weights. Cause I already know you do that and enjoy doing that. And I was like, Hmm, that's actually a really, really incredibly hard question. Um, because for the last, you know, decade plus I've been 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, strength coach in the weight room, taking care of other people's kids in the weight room and doing that and, and selling my family and my wife and kids on that and that hope and dream and stuff. And that's what, who I had been for a really, really long time. Um, and so, you know, and then that's when he was like, well, do you like the outdoors? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in hunting. I didn't have a dad that took me hunting or anything like that. Um, but I've always been interested in it. I've just never had the opportunity to go. And so then Bert put a bow in my hands and I started shooting my bow. Um, you know, he took me hunting a couple of times and probably the easiest process of like engaging in hunting as possible. <laughs> um, and, and I started kind of just falling in love with the things that I'd, I'd had some passion for, but I just had never had that opportunity. Um, and that's now where I definitely find myself pushing myself to stay uncomfortable. Um, cause I pushed myself in my coaching career to stay uncomfortable of always chasing the, you know, that next job. And then also, you know, reminding myself to keep, you know, where my feet are and do a good job of where I'm at. But I know that there's other things coming and that world moves so fast. Um, and so I, I got to that point, um, though, just, you know, over these last three years where it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go hard at other things that are way outside my scope. Um, I, and I realized, you know, I'm doing that already when I took the job here at Sornax of, I got to go do a job that I know nothing about, um, and connecting the dots of like, well, I mean, I do have this about me. I can build relationships. I can talk to people pretty easily. I enjoy that. I like meeting new people. 
and now I just do it in the business world side. Um, and, and, but that was definitely one of those things then, and just making myself uncomfortable where I don't know how to shoot a bow, but I guess I'll, I have some people here that can teach me a few things. And then the rest is up to me though. Like if you're going to do it, go do it. Um, and that was the same thing then even with the, you know, the Wolf Brigade maces and everything like that too, is I all of a sudden became the HQ mace guy. Um, cause everybody thought I was crazy out here at, you know, the noon hour when we all kind of you know, shut down for our lunch hour, but everybody trains and I'm out here swinging a mace every single day and practicing new things and doing that. But, um, and then I put myself into that uncomfortable position where I hadn't, I still have not yet to take an animal with, with my bow. Um, and my first hunt I went on with my bow was I'm going to go to Colorado. I'm going to go up in the mountains high up there and I'm going to go try and hunt an elk for a week and live in the back country for a week. Um, and that was something that's like way, way out there. I wouldn't call myself a, a city boy, but I, it's one of those, like, again, it's all new world to me. I don't know anything about it. I don't need to still be 290 pounds going up a mountain right now. So I got to drop some weight. And so I made myself real uncomfortable with, you know, losing some strength and losing some weight and becoming all of a sudden now like, a smaller guy of what I would say my scale is and, um, and getting myself to that point where I'm going to push myself into a very uncomfortable position and, and go chase some things that, um, I'm interested in, but also I'm just going to go take a whack at it and see what happens. And, um, that's kind of been my, my chase lately. And, and in my training and programming for even myself, it was, you know, Greg has done a phenomenal job of kind of, coming alongside me as a friend now, obviously like within business, like we do that stuff. But then like I talk to him quite often and um, you know, he's, he's coached me a little bit and shown things to me that I'm like, Oh man, I didn't, I didn't realize that was like a, a big sticking point within like a lot of athletes or a lot of people training is they forget about this style of shoulder mobility or what the body's actually doing to brace. So you can do that movement. Um, and so that's why it's been one of those things of, of a constant chase after that, you know, getting uncomfortable in, in any facet of life, you know, um, I've, I've taken on a whole lot more roles of even too, like as a, as a husband, um, and a provider and, um, within, you know, my, my personal life like that with my wife and kids. And that was generally why I got out of college coaching too, is I was seeing that coming down the line that, the way college coaching is set up right now, it's not sustainable um, for for a guy like me that wants to give everything he can to his wife and his kids. Um, and I gave them a lot of joys in that coaching, but then there's also daddy's gone a lot. You know, he's gone before they get up in the morning, and then I'm hoping that I get home in time to, to put him to bed. Um, and I felt that I was missing a lot. Um, when we first moved to Florida – for my last job, I actually, again, my wife was the perfect coach's wife. I moved her 36 weeks pregnant to Florida from Tennessee. Um, and so I had to find literally a, uh, a place to live. Yeah. I had to find a place to live. And I also then had to, Oh man, I'm still paying that one back, but, um, I had to find a new place to live. And then also I had to find a doctor that was willing to take on a, a pregnant lady um, 
that far into uh, her pregnancy to then deliver a baby, you know, about two weeks after we officially moved there. Um, and so we, you know, the whole pregnancy was basically in Tennessee and then I moved my wife there and then she had a baby a couple of weeks after moving to Florida in Florida. And, um, you know, I, I felt that with the coaching career there while I was at UCF, um, I missed the whole first 10 months, um, of my second born's, you know, life. And I did not like that. Um, that made me in a, an uncomfortable that I, I don't like <laughs> at all. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice that. Um, and so that's kind of why I stepped back a little bit. And that's one of those, I, I feel that I've, um, I always loved coaching and teaching interns, um, you know, while I was in coaching and getting to kind of show them the ropes and everything. And then now I, I immediately, when I came over to the Sornak side and working on this side of the, the field, um, I have a lot of guys, young guys that are usually DMing me, um, looking for advice the same way I was, um, looking for advice of, Hey, what's it like outside of coaching? Like, is it pretty good? You know, that kind of thing. And, um, and I was able to, to really kind of speak to those guys and let them know, like, yeah, man, I just walked through this and it's a, it's an uncomfortable situation. Cause you do, you have to start stripping yourself of like, those things that, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't care what the logo looks like or what the school color is, but ultimately we really do. Right. Like we, we really do care about like, I want to coach at a big sec school or I want to coach at a, at this, you know, I want to be a football guy. I want to be this. Um, and even though we push that away of like, Oh no, 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 I'm not a labels guy, but it ultimately in the, especially in the coaching career field, it's like, there's a lot of egos in that. And, and, that gets wrapped up in us and people get lost. Um, and I saw a lot of old coaches that had stayed in probably longer than they should have. Um, that got to a point where it's like they get done with coaching and then they don't know what to do or who they are, you know? Um, and that's a scary spot for me. And so it's, it's one of those, I, I got myself uncomfortable of stepping out of coaching and I got the time with my family that I was looking for. Um, and keeping them first and foremost. And, and then also being able to still love on the strength and conditioning community from this side of it, of like, how can I help you? How can I assist you? How can I help you? Even just, if you want to call and talk about, Hey man, I'm kind of thinking about getting out of coaching. I don't know where to go or what to do. And that's what I found stepping out of the coaching world is like, there's a big, big world here of like things you can get into. Um, and, and passions you can still chase that still give you all the opportunities you're looking for. And, um, and that's definitely one of those that I've definitely stripped myself down to some bare bones of that, of like, okay, what is Alex interested in? What is Alex passionate about? What does he enjoy? Um, and then how can I make that something that's, I can involve my wife and kids with, I can involve, you know, even what's good just for me personally. Um, and that's where I've taken even my training. Like right now, I don't think I've actually written a whole lot of my training program down over the last, um, probably about year. Um, and I've literally gone into the weight room and just kind of been like, what do I feel like doing today? What feels good? What, what, where's my mindset at? Where's my attitude at right now? Like, do I want, and I, there's a lot of times I go out there and it's still that same passion I had where it's like, you know what? I just feel like smashing some weight right now. 
and I'll go out and I'll squat or I'll deadlift heavy and do that and kind of go after those things. But then still have those things to train for like going hunting and okay, you got to climb a mountain and you're going to sleep at 10,000 feet. And then you're going to go up to about 13,000 feet and that's going to kick your ass. And so I came in here and every day I was like, I'm going to put myself in really uncomfortable positions and just try to destroy myself every single day I walk in here. Um, and that's, that's definitely where kind of my training program sits right now. I know that's definitely not very in-depth or detailed of, of a training program, but it's sometimes it just is what it is. But, but that's perfect because it doesn't have to be in-depth and detailed. I mean, <clears throat> I think we get lost on that sometimes that we have to have the perfect plan and it has to be laid out with, with the perfect bullet mm-hmm. points and it's got to be tier a b c and d and you have to have this much volume and this much intensity and you've got to make sure you're checking all these boxes every single day where in reality all we really need to do is take a step back and say okay what do we need what do we have how can we meet it and and then Mm -hmm. and then just go from there it doesn't have to be that freaking complicated um and I love, I love the outdoors portion of this, man. I was actually going to segue us somehow into that. And you kind of did it yourself um, <clears throat> because I wanted to find out, you know, obviously you went on your bow hunt up in Colorado. Um, did I see that y'all use llamas? Did you, did you use llamas? Yeah, we did. So my buddy, Brian, and I met him through winter strong. Um, Brian trainer. Yeah. So yes. Brian trainer, he just, him and I, he, he stopped in actually to HQ here a couple of years ago, just on like a family vacation out here to um, South Carolina. And he stopped in and him and I just, we, we kind of just hit it off. Like we're, we're kind of those guys that were definitely cut from the same cloth. And, and you know, when you meet somebody and just kind of have that vibe of like, I don't know why, but I like this dude. Like we, we gel well. Um, and, and Brian and I did that. And then, um, he brought his brother out to, to winter strong Adam and, and they both came out and they're just great guys. Um, and exactly who we're looking for, like when it comes to like coming out to winter strong and being a part of that community and everything. Cause it, it's a big deal of just like, they just, they just love on people and they want to share knowledge and, and do as much as they can to help and assist people and stuff. And, and that was one of those things is they were like, I actually, they had said like, man, you need to come out to Colorado. Anytime you want to come out, like, let us know. And, um, and then I actually, I asked Brian and Adam at the last winter strong. And I was like, dude, can I come out? Um, I'll literally just be an extra like pack mule for you. Like I'm not, I don't need to like shoot or try to take an animal or anything. I just want to come enjoy like being on the, on the, the adventure. Um, which and Brian was like, Oh yeah, dude, you can definitely come out, but you're bringing your bow. Like, we're going to get you a tag and we're going to go out there and we're going to actually go after something. Um, and, and so then, and then he did, he took me down the full gamut of how you backcountry hunt with, we're going to rent two llamas. We're going to take two llamas into the backwoods. They're going to live with us for seven days and we're going to sleep on the ground and not shower for a week. And, you know, he, he basically did the absolute perfect one-on-one class with a lot of, heavier stuff in it as well of basically teaching me all the the little things of how to look for signs of elk and how to smell for them how to how to make your food how to set up fire how to find water how to set up your tent like all that stuff because i told him i said hey you need to treat me like i'm your 
your son here that knows nothing and you're just teaching me like don't you're not gonna offend me like i'm fine being in that comfortable position of like i don't know like yeah you know and i might do something and so he just he i didn't get to take an animal out there which i think you know my other podcast i did with with bert and and brian you know it was actually the perfect hunt um for somebody looking to get into it because I, I did everything from all different facets of, you know, a, a spot and stock and sitting and glassing and, and going and finding elk um, and getting in really close on them and stuff like that. But I never actually got to, you know, take a shot or, or, or take an animal that way. But I learned so much that now I'm completely comfortable with like, you could tell me like, hey, next week we're going on a hunt in the backcountry um, for five days and, and here's where we're going. And I'm totally comfortable with it now where it's like, yeah, I'll go. Like, that sounds cool. I could do it by myself if I needed to. Um, and that was one of those things that I, I learned drastically about that. And it was also one of those, I realized when I got out there, I was like, Oh, this isn't about hunting really at all. Like it is, but it's not like, there's a whole lot more other stuff that's wrapped up in this that's going to teach me a whole lot about life and um, perspective and, and everything. And, and that's what I, I, I love that for sure. And, and then now it is, it's, I've gotten myself into, I have done the research and found public land here in South Carolina. I got my South Carolina, um, you know, deer tags and stuff this year. And then I've been out um, in public land that I've never been to before um, and, and figuring out how to, how to go take an animal all by myself. Um, and that's, that's something that's like the true, you know, biblical reference of like teaching a man to fish, um, versus just giving him something. Um, and, and that's definitely one of those really, really cool things that uh, over this last year, specifically, you know, in 2022 of, of getting to do that for myself. And, and that's gone into a lot of other facets of my life of, never been a handyman my wife still makes fun of me of our first year of marriage when I uh tried to put a shelf up in our kitchen to put like our microwave on and I didn't use the right screws or anything like that and I set that freaking microwave on that shelf and that thing crashed to the floor really hard and ripped out of the wall and it's like she's still always like yeah you're not the most handy guy so let's figure out what we're supposed to do and now it's like I've taken that upon myself like I'm gonna freaking teach myself how to do this stuff and do it right um and that's an uncomfortable position to be in and so i've i've gone down that road now of like oh no i will be the true man if you want to use that of like of of coming into that forthright of like if i don't know how to do something i'm going to figure out to the best of my ability how to do it and i'm going to do it the right way um and i'm going to be in charge of it i'm going to do it um, I'm not going to wait for someone else to handle that for me. I'm going to do it. Um, and that's gone into pretty much every aspect of, of my life now, for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I read something, I read something yesterday that said, uh, a man truly begins to live when he understands that no one's coming to save him. Um, yep. and, and that's, that, that freaking resonated with me so hard. Um, because it, it, it is so important to develop skills. You know, we, we, as coaches, we coach skills in different facets all the time. And that's what, what we're doing is, mm-hmm. is, is developing skills. 
And, and it's still just as important to develop different skills outside of athletics, outside of training, whatever it may be, whether it's learning how to go into the backcountry and source your own meat um, or doing it the way you did uh, with the public land where, I mean, and I'll tell you this, man, I've been hunting. My dad, my dad was kind of a first generation hunter. Um, his, his dad didn't really hunt. His stepdad didn't really hunt. Uh, he kind of took it up. And then he, obviously my brothers and I, he raised us all hunting. So I've, I've started hunting when I was, oh, I don't know, three or four years old and have been around that life, you know, my entire life. And nearly my favorite deer that I've ever killed, um, was, was on public land where my, my dad and I probably about five years ago, just like, Hey, let's just go hunting today. Well, where are we going to go? Well, there's some public land out here. Let's just go ride around and see what we see. We found a place we thought we liked pretty good. He went one side of the road. I went to the other. And man, I just walked through the woods looking for sign, found found a, a creek bed that had some good water in it. And there's hardwood on one side and pine timber on the other. And I was like, man, this looks like it might be a pretty good spot. I sat down um, and it was the January 1st. And it was frigid cold in Mississippi. So uh, it was exactly one degree. Um, which in Mississippi mm. is really cold. That's cold. Yeah, no mm. kidding. Um, and so, man, I'm sitting there leaned up against a, a, a tree that had fallen over, really big, big tree, and I was leaned up right up against it um, in the in the crook of where the trunk kind of comes down to the root system. And, man, I got my, my grunt out and I started doing some grunt calls with some doe, doe bleats and stuff because right at, right at the height of the rut in Mississippi, and, dude, this seven point comes strutting in there like five minutes later looking for whatever's going on, um, shoot the deer, find him. He didn't go. He probably went 25, 30 yards and laid up in a, in, in the, in a thicket and man shooting that deer, dragging him the mile and a half nearly that I'd walked, uh, back uphill <laughs> to get him back to the truck mm-hmm. and all that stuff, man. And, and that's, and he's not, he wasn't the biggest deer I've ever killed. Wasn't the prettiest set of horns I've ever seen, but that was a, I had no idea where I was. I found a spot I thought looked good, called him in, shot him, recovered him. I mean, it was textbook. And it was like, man, this is what mm-hmm. I've been taught. And I, I now know that I, I know that I possess the skill to go in somewhere and find that without sitting on top of a food plot and having game cameras that are telling me exactly what time deer are coming out and what deer I have on yep. camera and this, that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I do that. Um especially now that my son's hunting, I do that. And, um, but, but to be able to just go and say, Hey, I'm going to go kill a deer. And I have no idea where I'm going to go. And I have no idea if there's any deer there or not and go find it and kill it, man. That, that was, it, it was, it was the most rewarding thing. Um, and you did that recently mm-hmm. on that public land as well. Didn't you? Yeah. So, um, you know, I got back from the Colorado trip and it was like, all right, I did that, you know, like, cool, went out, got to do a fun adventure and and all that and figuring out how much stuff you got to figure out what to pack and why to pack it and how to pack it and all that stuff. And then, um, you know, I got back here and pretty much the first thing I did when I got back was like, all right, I'm, I'm buying, you know, my, my South Carolina tags and, and all that stuff here. And, um, and so I did that and then I had those and then they'd been kind of sitting on my, my shelf at the house for a minute. And, um, it was finally just kind of one of those where I was like, 
you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do some research on, on public land. Cause even when I went on my elk hunt in Colorado, that was all public land. So you're fending for yourself out there. Like there's, there's nothing out there. Nobody's telling you where to go or how to go. Obviously I had Brian that, um, you know, Brian did a great job of like teaching me how to navigate and do that type of stuff too. And all of a sudden you're in, you've just chased a herd of elk, you know, over two different ridges and now you're all turned around and, in a area you don't know and figuring out how do you get, how do you get back? How do you retrace your steps? How do you go find back to camp and, and, you know, find your bearings that way. And, um, I have, you know, I've made a couple of different buddies here in, in South Carolina being, you know, putting some roots in here, um, in the last couple of years. And, um, you know, one of my buddies was like, Hey man, like, here's a cool spot. Like it's public land, but like you can go park out there and then just, you know, he kind of gave me a little bit of like, Hey, go, you know, down this Creek bed. And then if you kind of follow that, like it'll, it'll put you in some cool areas and stuff. And you can just kind of go scope it out if you want to. And I was like, yeah, man. So I, you know, I went out and, um, literally like the night before told my wife, she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go hunt tomorrow morning. She was like, Oh, with who? And I was like, uh, nobody <laughs> like, I'm just going to go. And she was like, well, do you know like what you're doing? And I was like, yeah, I remember the microwave. Thanks for reminding me of that. I'll figure it out, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And, um, literally just, you know, kind of packed that stuff and then drove about an hour out to this, you know, spot. And that's one of those things that like, when you're talking uncomfortable, taking somebody that isn't very, you know, hasn't hunted a ton and all that stuff, like, I find it a very interesting thing. And I, I dare a lot of people that aren't in the hunting community or done that and been like, I dare you to get a headlamp, a rifle or a bow or whatever you're comfortable with and a pack with like a bottle of water and drive out there at 5 AM when it's still pitch black out and the woods are dead and nobody, nothing's moving or making any noise, park your car, turn your car off. There is no one around. And then you step out of your car and it is pitch black outside. And then you're supposed to go just walk into the woods. Um, that's really uncomfortable to do. Um, and so I, I went down to this land though, and I did that and like put my headlamp on and being like, man, it's, uh, it's definitely spooky and uncomfortable because there's no lights, there's no street lights, there's no nothing there or signs or anything to like show you where to go. And, uh, I just, you know, kind of started off into the woods and at night and, um, Brian taught me out in Colorado, like sometimes the best hunting, even that's just good for your soul as a person, um, is just listening to, to your stomach and your heart a little bit more of just being like, I don't know why that tree stands out to me, but I want to go sit under that tree, um, and just go sit, um, and then sit until maybe you're bored and feel like moving again and then get up and move. And so that's kind of how I started doing just like my spot and stock of that, of like, yeah, I'm obviously looking for signs of like deer and Brian taught me a good job of like of how to actually do that, um, and find that stuff and, and then kind of why it's there, where do you go from there? And I did that though, of just kind of going out and just kind of moved along there and then started to get daylight a little bit. And I just, turned my headlamp off and I just literally just sat there quietly listening to the woods. And that's a cool thing to sit in the woods and then listen to everything, wake up and start moving. Um, and, and so I went out and did that and I sat for a long time. I saw one deer, but she, I spooked her and she took off running. And then, um, 
you know, I actually had been sitting for a while and I was like, all right, I'm, I think I'm, you know, maybe done for the day. I'm going to get back and, you know, spend, you know, the second half of the day with, with, you know, the wife and kids on a Sunday and, um, started walking back. And then, I mean, Brian and I got real deep, uh, out in the, uh, back country of Colorado there where, you know, he, he gets to hunt a lot of times with, um, a lot of natives and stuff out there. And, um, you know, he brought up a really interesting thing about like, you know, the, the natives there in that land specifically are very in tune with, with the land and the animals and how they see and perceive things. And, you know, they talk heavily about like an animal will present itself to you when it's ready, you know, to be taken. Um, and it chooses you. And, um, and I just, you know, was walking back and thinking of that stuff and, you know, kind of finding my way back and hopefully didn't get lost in the woods kind of thing. And, um, and then I did, you know, I, it just happened quickly where all of a sudden, you know, a couple of deer popped up and I watched them for a second and they were about 70, 80 yards out. And then, um, you know, Brian taught me how to work the wind really well. And I was not in a very good advantage point for, for wind, um, and I'm pretty sure, you know, they got a sniff of me and then they kind of took off and then there was a third smaller one, just a small little doe. And she kind of came out and she was trotting along too, to, you know, kind of hoof it out of there. And I'd already then, you know, posted up rifle and all that stuff. And she came right in my shooting lane and just from, uh, all the little hunting shows or anything like that, that I've seen. And people kind of throw that little, that little bark out a little bit. And I just kind of gave her a quick little whack. And she stopped right in my shooting lane and just looked at me and I shot her about 110 yards and she, you know, went down about 15 yards from where, where I shot her. And then that was the, obviously as all hunters talk about, right. You know, now the hunt actually starts, especially out there when you got to pack it out yourself or do that. And I was about three miles into this, this public land. And, um, and basically then I, had one bar of service and I had had a little bit of knowledge of like how to field dress a deer. Um, but not a ton. And so I had one bar of service on my phone. So I quick Googled that <laughs> just so I had some, uh, some, some points of contention <laughs> of where to cut and why. Um, and so then I literally, I, that was a very uncomfortable thing for me too. I love the human body. I'm very like, I understand muscle and tissue and stuff like that with RPR and all that different stuff that I do. And, um, but that's a whole different thing when now you're literally cutting into a warm animal, um, to do that. And I won't get too graphic with that, but yeah, I, I feel dressed, um, this, this small doe out there. And again, it's definitely, it, it will be one that will be implanted in, in me for forever. Um, because it was one of those things that I went out and did that alone by myself and then did the, the ceremonial of like, cool, well, I'm going to, I'm going to put her on my shoulders and I'm going to walk the three miles back to my, my vehicle to go take her and get her processed. Um, and, you know, kind of just got to kind of experience all that stuff, you know, by myself and, um, get to get to feel things. And, and that was one of those things that I really, you know, chased while I was in Colorado is like, I want to, I want to feel the discomfort. I want to feel cold. I want to, I want to feel dirt underneath my fingernails and do that. And I think again, with all the, the comfort that is in the world, um, we forget that stuff heavily. Um, and, and Brian told me that out in Colorado for sure too, of like, 
you'll pick up on a couple of days into the backcountry, like all of a sudden you start hearing a little bit better. Your eyesight almost feels like it gets a little bit better. Your, your nose like starts picking up on smells and, and things like that. And you understand things a little bit more. And, and I definitely felt that after being in the backcountry for seven days and then, you know, got back to Brian's house. And then, you know, the next morning he took me back to the airport and I almost had like a panic attack when I walked into the airport. Cause I'd only been around like three people, right. For the last week and a half. And, um, and then being out in the, in the quiet woods and stuff like that. And, um, and then literally going into the Denver airport with all the hustle and bustle and everybody's got a, an agenda where they got to get to and schedule and all that stuff. And it, it was almost overwhelming of like, oh my gosh, like I need to, I put my headphones in and just turned like noise canceling on just so I didn't hear things, but it was like stressful. Cause like people are rushing around and doing all that. And it's like, man, I'm, I do really enjoy this of like the, the hunting life of like, I'm okay with getting out in the woods and not seeing a single thing and just sitting under a tree for a minute. Um, that's a, that's a good feeling and something I think people need to chase a little bit more now. Um, you find out a lot about yourself doing that. Um, yeah, man, no, for sure. Uh, it's, and some, I, uh, it's, it's, it, yeah. It, it is a, it's a special thing. Um, people, people have asked me time and time again, why, why I love hunting so much. And it's never, I never talk about killing animals. It's always about, you know, everything else, um, is the reason mm -hmm. why, why I love it so much. And man, I'm gonna tell you, if you enjoyed the waking up, you know, the, the woods waking up around you on that deer hunt, you're going to have to come down to Mississippi in March or April and go on a turkey hunt with me because there is nothing on this earth like sitting in the woods in the springtime when a turkey mm -hmm. starts gobbling on the roost it is it's it's almost ethereal like it means just it's ethereal it's wild it's spooky yeah. and, and like you get chill bumps everywhere man you'll you'll have to you have to come down we'll have to go after some birds um because that is yeah no i'm i've i'm all about that that's that's one of those things now is like I've heard the, the mystical things about turkey hunting and stuff. And, um, I think that's something I, I want to definitely dabble in a little bit here and, and do that. And I, it's the same way I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's a, the same thing, but a different kind of thing of, you know, the first time I was physically in the woods in Colorado and then hearing a, an elk bugle that's, you know, a few, few yards away from you is, is earth shaking and also soul shaking at the same time. Yeah. I, I've heard people um, compare them. Like that's the only thing world. like it. it that's, mm -hmm. I've, I've heard people say that, that the only thing like hearing an elk bugle is hearing a turkey gobble on a roost. Like it's just this wow. Yeah. But, but man, I, dude, I appreciate your yeah. time. It, it has been an awesome, awesome conversation. And I, I mean, I feel like we could sit here and probably go for another two or three hours. Um, just, just, shooting the breeze and enjoying this, but I, man, your insights into the business side yeah. of things and you know, why, why this discomfort thing is so huge, man, has been, has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on with me. Yeah, definitely, man. I appreciate you, you know, inviting me onto this and stuff and getting to kind of talk that cause it is, it's one of those things in the world right now that I think people need to hear a lot more of and, and being self-sufficient and understanding yourself a little bit more and, and then how, how does that 
reach out and then and help and touch other people for sure so absolutely brother well if uh if not before hopefully i'll see you in february on the farm and uh man i appreciate you being here yeah man sounds good all right bud we'll see you you've been listening to the discomfort by design podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the show and leave a review and we'll see you next time